0: So here we are in uh, the next week of our uh, series on the book of 1 Peter called Stand Out, and uh, we're looking at, uh, again, just if if you're new here and you haven't been following along, uh, we're looking at this incredible book that Peter wrote to these brand new churches in Asia Minor. Uh, So that's the area that we would now call Turkey, but these are uh, little churches that would be uh, Christian communities uh, in first gen- generation uh, Christian churches where uh, people have had missionaries like Paul and other people come and visit them and come be part of their community. Of course, there are sort of early churches that are uh, sort of uh, very close to Israel. So as the, the church spread out from Jerusalem, uh, these are some of the first communities where the gospel went and uh, here they are, these brand new Christians in these tiny uh, little communities that are exploding with the life of god and and in the midst of all that they 're surrounded by an incredibly difficult culture, a culture that doesn 't understand what they 're becoming, a culture where there 's authority legally and and, uh, and and just culturally for people to take anyone who 's not conforming to the uh, consistent, dominant worldview of the place to uh, take those people who don't conform and to force them to conformity. And in, in that day and in that time, it was legal for, uh, of course, the owner of a slave to beat uh, them or, or for a husband to, to enforce his religion, his faith on his wife. And so under incredible duress, these Christians are... are Growing and and uh, and striving to to live and to find out what God has for them, and at the same time they're under enormous pressure, and so it's in this context that uh, that Peter writes to these churches. And as we know, when people wrote letters in that time, it was sort of maybe written on uh, on a scroll or, or in some uh, whatever f- the form of document they were writing, and it would just go from town to town and be passed around and copied and and spread out through the world. And so now we have these documents and manuscripts and we get to look back at them and and say what can we learn from what Peter was saying uh, to these people how does this enrich us Uh, the passage that we're going to look at today is first Peter uh, chapter 3 1 to 7 and it's a passage that I very much wanted to skip over. Uh, It begins, wives, submit yourselves to your husbands as unto the Lord. And I thought, you know, why do that one? Let's just skip that altogether. But there's some real (laughs) wealth and some riches in it, and so we're going to tackle it, and we're going to see how it's something that's really beautiful, though uh, we're going to have to work fairly hard to contextualize it for our culture. So that's what we're going to do. Before we do that, I I just want to recommend some reading uh, for some of you. This is a a wonderful, wonderful little book by Lee Strobel, and he's uh, the author of a a great simple book on apologetics called The Case for Christ. Uh, But he uh, also wrote this book, and it's the story of his marriage. It's the story of the early part of his marriage where his wife became a Christian and and he was not. Uh, it's, It's entitled... Uh, surviving a spiritual mismatch in marriage and that's really what Paul is addre- or sorry what Peter is addressing in this passage is is how do you live when your marriage is is mismatched with 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 your spouse how do you go forward when your your faith uh, is different let's just read the text and then we'll try to make uh, some sense of some things we'll uh, We'll pull this all together, but just recommend that book if you're in a place where your spouse is not a Christian. And actually, I would recommend you read it if you're if you're a young person and you're thinking about marriage. And and I, you know, I just get asked all the time by by young men and women, uh, how important is it that I have a Christian spouse? And uh, and I would say very important. <laughs> and books like this uh, are are books that sort of point you to some of the wisdom that's in the scriptures around that issue. So. Just a recommendation for you. Amen. Amen. We have the we have the club. Raise your raise your hand, really. If you struggle with that question, if you're, if you're in a, a marriage that's a spiritual mismatch, or you know somebody who is like, it's a it's a really challenging issue. Uh, Peter addresses it, and he addresses the husbands as well. But let's just read this, and then we'll dig in. First, uh, Peter, uh, chapter three. Uh, sorry, I, I had that title wrong. Wives, in the same way, submit yourselves to your own husbands. So that if any of them do not believe the word, they may be won over without words by the behavior of their wives, when they see the purity and reverence of your lives. Your beauty should not come from outward adornment, such as elaborate hairstyles and the wearing of gold jewelry or fine clothes, Rather, it should be that of your inner self, the the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is of great worth in God's sight. For this is the way the holy women of the past who put their hope in God used to adorn themselves. They submitted themselves to their own husbands, like Sarah, who obeyed Abraham and called him her Lord. You are her daughters if you do what is right and do not give way to fear. Husbands, in the same way, be considerate as you live with your wives and treat them with respect as the weaker partner and as heirs with you of the gracious gift of life so that nothing will hinder your prayers. And of course, uh, when this passage has been uh, been read and taught numerous times uh, in the church over the years, it has often been taught uh, with PowerPoint slides that look like that, um, how do you feel about that uh, as, you, as you read that one? How do, how do you feel about that? We're not going to see it quite like that. That's just to be mercy for you guys. Um, before we, uh, before we uh, dig into the text and really look at what it actually uh, means, there are some ways in which the text has been misused. And we want, to, uh, we want to talk about those. Uh, the first thing is, is that this particular text does not support an official hierarchy for the Christian marriage. I'm going to say that clearly. This text does not uh, support an official hierarchy for the Christian marriage. I am the king of my castle. <laughs> this text uh, does not support that. Uh, maybe that will encourage you uh, a little bit. Uh, we, we actually dealt with this issue uh, a number of months ago, maybe in the range of two years ago. I can't remember the exact context in which we were talking about this, but we, we dealt with Ephesians chapter 5, uh, verses 21 to 33, the second most terrifying uh, text for a pastor to speak on. Um, and you'll remember what we talked about as you look at that. Uh, the, the passage in verse 21 starts with "submit to one another out of reverence for Christ." And very, very often, when you see that preached, or when even when, if you, if you any of you have your Bibles with you, if you look into your Bibles, you'll see a heading "Husbands and Wives" in the text that says "Husbands and Wives." This is your instructions. And often, in in the, your translation of the Scripture that you're reading, the Bible that you have at home, it will say "Instructions for Husbands and Wives." between verse 21 and 22. So the translators of the text who look at this uh, have often made a break in the text at that point so that you will sort of not notice the submit to one another part. And, and, and it's, a, it's actually a terrible power that biblical uh, translators and, and those who print and sell Bibles actually have over the text is those little headings. They put them in and they were never ever there uh, they were not there in the writings of the apostles, but, but translators who want to spin things in a certain way can just plug those in where they want them and just mess with our understanding a little bit. Our understanding of how uh, marriage works, uh, again, to say that this passage that we're about to look at doesn't give that sort of broad look at what marriage is supposed to look like between a man and a woman. It has a specific purpose and a specific context, a lens through which it must be understood. This is one in Ephesians that does actually talk about how that works, and it talks about mutual submission. That sounds a little bit more like we actually have to operate in my family, um, and probably how you operate in your family because it makes sense of, of sort of who we are in Christ and makes sense of how we relate to one another. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. I'm just going on, skipping over. Verse 25, husbands love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. So we do have a pattern for how marriage relationships should work in the text, and it's in in the scriptures, and it is a mutual submission, but it also recognizes a complementarity. It recognizes a difference in how that submission works. And so husbands submit as to the Lord. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up completely for her. There's submission in both these these cases, but the, but but arguably from this text in Ephesians, uh, what a husband is called to, in terms of submission, is is a more costly submission that we're called to—a very very high standard of self-sacrifice, a very very high standard. Uh, in terms of how we serve, in terms of how we submit. So uh, just I'm going to explain what this text in, in 1 Peter is meant to say. Uh, but I wanted to say that, that in the broader context of scriptures, there's lots of other things that we need to look at to understand uh, God's general ideas about relationships between husbands and wives. The other thing this text doesn't say is uh, that you are to submit to any kind of husband. I'm going to say this a little bit carefully and a little bit delicately, but it is not saying to you to submit fully to a husband who is a drunk, who is a drug addict, who is bringing dangerous people into your home and threatening the lives of your children. It is not saying submit to uh, language that is physically and emotionally abusive. It is not saying uh, that you're to be submitted to your husband's adulteries. It is not saying that you're to be submitted and required to do practices that are sexually degrading and dehumanizing. It is not saying uh, talking about husbands who refuse to work and support their families, who sit around and play video games. These are all things that we see in our culture all the time, and this text isn't speaking to those issues. This text has been brutally misused in the church over the years, with priests and ministers telling women who are suffering in horrible relationships to just be quiet and to submit and to stay there and to suffer. And that is not what this text is saying. I want to say this to you very clearly as your pastor, If these things are happening in your life, my wife and I who are mutually submitted to one another, if you call us and tell us these things are happening, we will come, and we will pick you up, and we will take you out of your home, and we will see that you are safe, and we will call your husband to holiness and submission and see that you're protected. I want to say that very, very clearly. This text has been horribly misused. Horribly misused. And that's not what we're going to do with the text today. We're going to look at it in its context. So what does the text say? What does it say? How do you understand these words, wives submit to your husbands as unto the Lord? How do you understand it uh, by looking at that culture and looking at that context and understanding what was going on there? In order to understand what Peter is saying to those people in those times, you have to understand the conditions that women were living in. It was absolutely brutal. It was absolutely brutal. Let me tell you what Greek philosophy says about women. I'm reading to you from Plato, a revered philosopher that we study uh, in, in university, reads this. It says, It is only males who are created directly by the gods and are given souls. Those who live rightly return to the stars, but those who are cowards or lead unrighteous lives may with reason be Supposed to have changed into the nature of women in the second generation. He's talking about incarnation, reincarnation. This is Greek philosophy. This is the context and culture into which what Peter is writing what he is writing. The downward progress may continue through successive reincarnations unless reversed. In this situation, obviously it is only men who are complete human beings and can hope for ultimate fulfillment the best a woman can hope for is to become a man this is, this is the culture into which the scriptures are being written Okay, Aristotle, the female is as it were, a deformed male now in Roman culture in Roman law if a woman came into a marriage relationship with property, whatever property she had immediately became the property of the man and she lost all right to it. Under Roman law, um, when uh, when a woman... Uh, had a baby, she had no control over the life of that child. If the husband didn't like that child, didn't want that child, if it was a daughter instead of a boy and he wanted a boy, that husband had every right to take that child and set it out in the street to die, to be exposed to the elements and to just be, be gone. The husband had the right to do that. Nothing in law or nothing in culture uh, said that he didn't have that right. nothing would stop him from doing that that was what he could do that was his right uh, as a man he could choose to feed his wife or he could choose not to feed his wife he could choose for her to live in his home or not to live in his home Uh, to give her shelter or not, Uh, and he had absolute control over her religion. It was absolutely an assumption in that culture, in that time, and in that space that if a man converted to one religion or moved to another religion or was born of a certain religion, that the wife would immediately, and all her children and servants and everything else, ultimately adopt that religion. So imagine that in our context. Imagine me going up to Anna and saying, Anna, you know think we should be Mormons. Now, I just think it'd be great. I'm going to be a Mormon. I think it's going to be fantastic. I'm going to be able to have multiple wives. We're going to move to Utah. The weather is much nicer there. Uh, just You're just coming along for the ride. Is, is In our culture, would any of you women rise up against this, Honey, we're going to be Rastafarians. Yes, it's going to be great. Anna, please, if you could work out the dreads thing. I would really appreciate that. You're going to have to wear dreads now, and we're just going to sit around and smoke dope and listen to Bob Marley all day. (laughs) And in that culture, and in that time, and in that space, she had absolutely no right and no place to say anything about that. Now, in the church, in Asia, in that time and place, women were coming to Christ by the hundreds and in the context so so that's the cultural context but in the context of this text and in the context of these scriptures in the middle of that incredibly oppressive and brutal society where they were given no choice externally about how they were to live these women were coming to Christ by the hundreds and being called by Christ to be obedient to him. And you'll remember from last week we made this incredible distinction between submission and obedience. The obedience we were called to in Christ. The the obedience we're called to to obey him, to follow him. And and how submission just means uh, a, a reverence and a respect. So women are coming to Christ in this culture and called to be obedient to him. There are things that God commands which they cannot do. And there are things in, in that culture, right? But, but, and there are things that they are forbidden to do that they must do in that culture. They live uh, with, re- reverse those words with respect to their relationship with Jesus. When they're, when they're speaking of Jesus, there are things that God commands that they must do. And there are things that God forbids which they must not do. In the context of a culture where they have no freedom, whatsoever, and 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 think about what the gospel meant to women. Uh, this is one of my one of my favorite artists. This is just a go to artist, an Asian artist that I that I love. I love the way he just depicts um, various scenes in the scriptures, various parts of of what's going on, um, and 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 just imagine these women. Uh, In the early church, like, how bizarre is it that the very first witnesses chosen to witness the resurrection of Jesus Christ were women? Nobody in that culture, in that time, and in that space would choose women as the primary witnesses to the resurrection. It, it's unbelievable. It's an incredible piece in terms of apologetics about uh, the, the, just the veracity of the story of the resurrection. Uh, there's no way anybody making it up would choose the women as the witnesses. But God chose these women as the witnesses. So all of a sudden these women all over Asia Minor are having these incredible encounters with God. They're meeting the risen Lord. They're meeting the Messiah. They're, they're meeting their Savior. They're having personal encounters with them. He's healing them through the ministry of the apostles. He's touching them. They're all of a sudden for the first time in their lives experiencing an incredible sense of worth an incredible sense of being loved, an incredible sense of being embraced, that faith and religion is is no longer something that comes from the husband that's shoved down their throats by, by that dominant presence, but all of a sudden Jesus is meeting them personally and knowing them and loving them and caring for them. And it's in that context that Peter rights to give them for some instructions on how do you live with this? How do you live with this? How do you live in this incredibly difficult situation? And understanding uh, how a woman who has been touched by Christ is to live in that horrible context is how we understand this text. And now let's look at it again. Wives, in the same way, submit to your own husbands. I mean, they're just in that phrase. There's so much. One, wives, in the same way, uh, he's he, he, he's pointing to the, the the context of this passage to what, who he's just spoken to in the passage. He's spoken to how do you live relative to government. How do you slaves live relative to masters? How do women live? So he's saying, uh, in the context of this, looking at this whole book, you're reading, it's so horrible what we do, having to break these things down. But the whole context of the letter is saying to these, these people, you are different, you're aliens, you're strangers in this culture. You have to live a different way. You have to live a different way. And so he's saying, in the same way, submit yourselves to your own husbands with reverence. And with respect, but, but that language is there in the Greek to your own husbands, not to other husbands, not to the ones you like, not to the Christian men in the community. But there's a there's a call of uh, of living respectfully uh, to your to your uh, to your husband in that situation. And what's he saying? The context is there are things you cannot do. Because God's called you not to do them. And there's things that you must do because God's called you uh, to do them. What he's saying here really, he's saying wherever you can get along, wherever you can go along, go along. You're hanging on by a thread, dear woman. You're hanging on by a thread. Your personal culture is becoming so different from that of your husband. So different from that of the culture that's around you. Uh, Just... Just to survive wherever you can hang on, wherever you can agree, wherever you can get along, go along. That's what he's saying here. Wherever you can get along, go along. And if any of them do not believe uh, the word, they may be won over without words by the behavior of their wives. He's saying not only is there um, a a reason, a a need for you to survive in this situation, don't fight over everything. Don't fight over uh, every little issue. If if Christ hasn't uh, put a restriction on you in this area, just and even if it's not your personal preference, even if it's not your personal taste, even if it's uh, whatever it is, let it go. What what he's saying is that there is, Many times, and he said the same thing about slaves, and he said the same thing about those of us under uh, corrupt and difficult government. Uh, He's saying, uh, take what you've got and live it out, and and in the rest of these ways, you subordinate your personal desires for the sake of the gospel. In whatever way you can, you subordinate your personal desires uh, for the sake of the gospel said the same, to same, same thing to slaves, he said the same thing to us, so you'll have to go back and listen to last week's sermon to get those pieces, but, um, but this and when, and when they see the purity and reverence of your lives, they'll be won over even without words when they see the purity and reverence of your lives. I mean, this was a culture that was just so corrupt and so broken and so impure. And what he does in this next little piece in verse 3 is, is in that context, he gives them a win-win. He gives them an example. He gives them a win-win. And this doesn't make any sense to us now. Uh, Your beauty should not come from outward adornment, such as elaborate hairstyles and the wearing of gold jewelry or fine clothes. How many of you are wearing earrings today? Were you planning on a tr- did you wear them this morning to attract another mate? Cuz you don't like the one you have? Cuz he's kind of homely looking or or because he's hard to you at home? Elaine I see those earrings. <laughs> that's not that's not our culture. That's not that's not how we are. But but a woman in that place uh, was was mimicking what she was seeing in in temple prostitutes. She was she was saying, uh, uh, you know, when my husband's not home, come on over. Uh, provide for me, make me feel better, help me survive, help me survive this pain. Let me uh, have this. this other. And there was this incredible uh, culture of, of broken sexuality. And what Peter is saying into this is, live counter live different stand out from your culture in this way and and live all of a sudden with faithfulness and humility and purity and if you just do that the culture's going to notice now what's an analog for our culture around that oh, I'm just going to skip right over that <laughs> Right, but but you have to think about how that how that applies uh, for for you ladies who who are struggling with with husbands who who aren't aren't Christian men. What a challenge to not fight over everything. What a challenge to live in a way that uh, that draws men to Christ. Now. I, I, just a side note, we are never as human beings responsible for another human being's decision to follow Christ. I think, I think we have to take that off of you, uh, that at the same time as we read this and we read ways that we can facilitate a growing relationship with Jesus in, in our spouses, that we can help that along, uh, you, you, you can't wear the guilt of that person refusing to follow Christ and to accept Jesus. So we have to take any guilt and shame off of you around that. But wherever you can, wherever we can, uh, do something that helps, do something that draws. It says, rather it should be that of your inner self, the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is of great worth in, in God's sight. Uh, wherever in culture there is, uh, is anxiety and fear and a lack of peace and a, and a brokenness, if you can demonstrate peace in that, in that space, uh, people are drawn to Jesus. And I, I had a, a, an example just in the grocery store checkout the other day. Just this just, just week, somebody, somebody said, you, you always come through this cache, and, and I always feel happy when you're here. I always feel like, I, like I'm at peace. I always feel like I could talk to you. I always feel like you're relaxed. That's just at a grocery store checkout because uh, peace is something that, that is absolutely in contrast with uh, the prevailing uh, wind in our culture today. How much more powerful that is in the context of a, of a relationship, of a mismatched marriage, of a difficult uh, situation. And he goes on, for this is the way the holy women of the past who put their hope in God used to adorn themselves. Is saying that you guys have something more beautiful to wear uh, than, than earrings. You have something more attractive. And again, looking back earlier in the passage, they were called to live good lives. And that word good is the same word as, as in this text. It's live attractive lives. Live attractive lives. And, and it's all about the inner life. They submitted themselves to their own husbands, like Sarah, who obeyed Abraham and called him Uh, her lord that there is a way in in that culture and in that time of of respect and honor and yet we see if we unpack the relationship between abraham and sarah incredible freedom in the life of sarah to wrestle and to struggle and to be a friend of abraham laughing her head off when abraham comes to her with this crackpot idea that they're going to have kids right this is not the sign of a woman in, in, in that culture who was terrified of, of Abraham, right? This is a sign of a woman who had a relationship with a spouse that, that she trusted. It's a sign of vulnerability, right? And so we have this, uh, this incredible uh, relationship here. And it just says, it says, you are her daughters if you do what is right and do not give way to fear. And so this is how he sums up his little piece uh, to the women. Don't give way to fear. Don't give way to fear. Don't let fear bind you up. Don't let fear tie you up. Don't let fear lock you down. Live out your life as a Christian woman in that place uh, to whatever degree you can with integrity and with grace and with power and authority. Uh, But do it in kindness and love and in respect and in submission and watch what the Lord does. And we have... Uh, obviously in the life of the church in Asia Minor and all across the Roman Empire as the gospel spread through that place, the gospel spread like wildfire through families. Peter was giving something strategic here and, and something that history bears witness to as something that worked, something that worked. The church grew and thrived in that atmosphere. And then uh, Peter goes on to address husbands. Husbands, in the same way, be considerate as you live with your wives and treat them with respect. Be considerate as you live with your wives and treat them with respect. Now how radically different an instruction to the man does that sound like from what they were getting from Roman culture and from the ancient philosophers at that time. All of a sudden, the gospel is elevating women to a place of respect, a place uh, where a husband uh, doesn't just go about his life and do the thing he's called to do, that he wants to do, that he feels like doing, whatever the heck is going on, I'm going to do what I want to do. Without any consideration at all for how this affects my spouse, all of a sudden, uh, Peter is calling husbands to consider your wife in the equation. Men, consider your wives in the equation. And remember that there were occasions where, and less of them, uh, clearly from what we know of history, less of them where the husbands came to faith first. Uh, the women came into the kingdom so much more readily than men. They're just smarter than us. Um, but, uh, but, but husbands uh, came uh, in, and were considerate uh, as you live with your non-Christian wives and treat them with respect as the weaker partner and remember the context. I, I've heard this weaker partner thing so misused by pastors in the past that, that the women are, are you know, weaker intellectually and we see this also in Greek philosophy. Uh, women are called like uh, muddle-duddle, fuddy-duddy brains jello brain people you know they're they're, they're called people with, with lower intellectual ability they're called people with, uh, with without the, the faculties to, to be fully human in, in, in Greek philosophy at that time treat them with respect as the weaker partner uh, what that means is treat them with respect as powerless people in your culture they're powerless people in your culture but treat them with respect They're in a terrible place. you see the terrible place your wife is in? Treat her with respect. And listen to this. And as heirs with you of the gracious gift of life. And all of a sudden, women are elevated from being property and chattel to being co-heirs, equal with men. And it's a perfect fit with what uh, Paul said earlier, submit yourselves to one another. Christianity was presenting to the ancient world a radically different model of marriage. A radically different model of partnership. And he says this so that nothing will hinder your prayers. If your wife or your husband is subordinate to you in your relationship, it hurts your relationship with God. You're not getting everything that you're meant to get in your relationship with Christ. You're missing something awesome that God has for you. You're missing hearing the voice of the Lord speaking to you through the life of your wife. You're missing the wealth and riches of how God wants to communicate with the family. God's calling us to something amazing in this incredible partnership together. Let's stand up together. So, Father, for these beautiful people that are are spiritually mismatched in life, that live in this incredible challenge of of marching to the beat of a different drummer, that live in this incredible challenge of of all of a sudden, in knowing Christ, being uh, foreigners and aliens in their own homes. Would you lift them up? Would you lift them up? Would you protect them from fear? Would you protect them from shame? Would you let them feel your spirit's power in them so that they could feel your authority flowing through them, your authority to love would you speak to their spouses and call them to the kingdom? Would you show them with real clarity the areas of their lives where they, they can't submit, where their obedience to you is a, is a higher call? And would you show them really clearly in their lives where they can live and let live and let things go? Would you lead them in that? And in every case, Father, Would the spouse that doesn't know you come along and come to know you and come to faith? Come, Lord Jesus. Come, Lord Jesus. Just minister to their hearts this morning. Just minister to their hearts this morning. As you're praying for them, you might have words of encouragement from the Holy Spirit or little prophetic pieces or words of knowledge, just feel free to uh, continue to pray for them. Uh, I'm going to just single out another group to to pray for, but don't stop doing what you're doing, okay? Um, You know, if you're here this morning and you are thinking about your future and and finding a spouse or finding a, a, a wife or a husband... And you're asking yourself the question about a dating relationship you might be in, uh, whether you should be dating this uh, non-Christian person, or or how you find a Christian mate, or or how that all works. Um, uh, lots and lots to talk about—a whole different topic for you. But but I feel like the Lord just calling me to pray for you and, and just say uh, to you, the Lord will lead you. The Lord will lead you. He has in mind for you a life of fullness and grace and joy where you can be under Christ submitted to one another mutually. That is his ideal for you. That is his purpose for you. For those of you struggling with how to do that in a culture where a a believer that you could love seems so hard to find. God, would you give confidence to each of these singles, wonderful, wonderful singles in our midst, uh, that you have purpose for them, that you will lead them, that you will uh, yoke them equally with someone, give them the courage uh, and discipline to wait where they need to wait. Give them intelligence and wisdom as they seek uh, the right kind of spouse. But but would you lead and would you give guidance? And over all of us, Father, in relationships that are are struggling and relationships that are messy at times and relationships that that are imperfect as every human relationship is, Father, for all of us, we cry out for grace. We cry out for your mercy. We cry out for you to build our marriages stronger. We call out for you to improve our sex lives. We call out for you to improve our communications. We call out to you to improve uh, the way we interact around every little thing. Father, would you heal and restore and bless marriages this morning? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.